Good morning. I'd like to invite you to join me for a few musings on um, mindfulness. I I'm personally interested in uh, re-establishing some of the breaths uh, uh, of this term and of um, not the term itself actually, but of the um, meaning of this term in the Buddhist in the early Buddhist context. As I have indicated yesterday, when something becomes popular um, and leaves its origin of, uh, say, a specialized field, um, then it often also loses the precision or the, the technical references it has had in its original context. And it seems to be, at the same time, more widespread in its use, which gives the indication of broader acceptance. At the same time, it seems to lose actually its crispness and its precision, and uh, often it loses depth. We have seen that with terms like yoga or meditation or vipassana. And I think we see that now with the term mindfulness, where most people would probably see the major influence on the understanding of the term mindfulness, not um, not necessarily in early Buddhist teachings around sati, but uh, maybe in uh, John Kabat-Zinn's definition of it, um, which is a good definition, by the way, but it's, um, it doesn't have quite the same breadth as I would think early Buddhist psychology gives uh, to that term. So, establishing definitions is a tricky business because it needs a lot of context. In this case, it would need finding out where the term was used before and how it was understood in the Buddha's day. So, this is a worthy undertaking, but not now. I'd like to do something else. I'd like to look at the imagery the Buddha used for sati in his suttas, because images sometimes travel more lightly through the centuries and through the cultures than do definitions. It's less hard work to carry over an image from one culture to another than a definition. So what are the images? What are the experiential qualities the Buddha refers to when he speaks of sati? We find a number of images. One very stark image is the image of a man with a bowl of oil on his head, a brimful bowl of oil, and his task is at the gathering where people come together to see the beauty of the country, the bell of the country, dancing and singing. And the crowd that has gathered is the place where our man with his bowl full of oil has to walk through without shedding a drop. So imagine walking through a crowd, delicately balancing a brimful ball of oil on your head, and behind you, that's what the image continues, 
Behind you is another man with a drawn sword threatening to lop off your head at the first shed drop. Yeah? This is an image the Buddha uses for kaya-gata-sati, for body awareness, for mindfulness of body. Yeah? He then kind of, one imagines him to be a bit gleeful in this moment. He then asks his monks, would that man allow himself to be careless when he walks through the crowd at the risk of losing his head? And his monks dutifully say, no, no, he would not be careful. He would not be careless. He, he would be highly mindful and circumspect of all his moves. So that's one of the images for mindfulness of body, being so alert and so circumspect of what's happening in the body, with a continual presence of mindfulness, as if I was losing my life at the first shed drop of oil when I feel a little shaky. It's not a compassionate image. It has, uh, it has other virtues. It brings up energy, isn't it? Psychology would call this uh, vigilance or maybe even hypervigilance. There are other images for sati. There are several images that speak of a spacious mind. It's a driver who climbs on the driver's seat, or a charioteer probably in those days, and he overlooks the road, he overlooks his draft animals, he overlooks his cart, and he has a slightly elevated posture, position, and from that position he has an overview, he has a kind of panoramic perspective. And this is equated with sati, being slightly elevated and overlooking a certain area. Um, The important part here is the simultaneity of events. It's all part of one picture. We have a similar image of a man climbing a tower and again overlooking a particular stretch of land and thus having a spacious, aware, panoramic vision. Then we have images of sati which speak of some different facet of it. One image is of a, a post firmly rammed into the ground. Uh, that post is chains, six chains to be exact. And on every one of these chains, there is a wild animal pulling, jumping, uh, and behaving wildly. And the post does not move. The post remains firm and stable in the center. The animals quieten down gradually. Instead of jumping, they're just kind of trotting, finally lying down. That post is linked to sati, that post that does not move, that provides stability for the animals, these are the six senses, by the way, um, to quieten down, to stabilize. Here we have sati very clearly with the emphasis on samatha. We see in sati, in the quality of mindfulness, we see the seed qualities of wisdom, spaciousness and of stillness already dormant. So here the facet of stability and stillness, which is so important for samatha practice, is already uh, present, it's very clearly um, uh, made visible in that image. Then we have two images with a, a gatekeeper, a sagacious and 
uh, who isn't gatekeeper, who protects the city. The first image says the gatekeeper does only let the people go into the town that he knows, and the ones he doesn't know he questions, and some of them he turns away. So sati protects the heart from unwholesome influences, as the gatekeeper protects his city from people who have no business there. Another image of a gatekeeper with a slight shift of accent is the gatekeeper awaits messengers that come with important messages from afar. And his purpose is to receive the messengers, <coughs> by the way they're called samatha and vipassana, and uh, takes the messengers on the straightest and most direct route to the governor of the city so that the messengers don't get bogged down in the market alleys and don't lose their way and don't lose time. So Sati, here, in the person of our gatekeeper, clearly in the role of efficiency, uh, bringing the message, the um, veridical message, as the texts say, straight to the lord of the city, to the governor of the city. Then we have a very interesting image of a surgeon who is, um, has to look after uh, a wounded man. Uh, the man has an arrowhead in his flesh and the shaft is broken off. So the, the wound, the superficial wound, is actually a lot smaller than the uh, actual wound. But the arrowhead is buried completely in the man's body and cannot be seen. So the surgeon has a task to find out the position, the size and the contours of that arrowhead and then to remove the arrowhead and remove the poison. And he does that by using an instrument called a probe. And with that probe, even though he does not see the arrowhead and the entry wound is very small, he uses the probe to insert it gently into the wound and then by gentle movements probing into the position, to the size and the contours of that arrowhead lying buried in the man's flesh, thereby ascertaining how big his incision needs to be and uh, enabling him quasi-minimally invasively to remove that arrowhead and remove the poison. Sati is likened to the probe which is inserted into the wound and gently gives our surgeon an impression of what he cannot see with his eyes. Yeah. There you have a very practical image of the quality of fathoming. So sati, turning, turning up that which is not seen immediately, that which lies buried, buried underneath the surface. Yeah. We have another image, which is a very nice one. It's of a shepherd boy, uh, or cowherd boy. Uh, it's a twofold image. Take one shows our cowboy with uh, the cows during the time the fields are ripe with fruit. And he's got a hard job keeping his cows out of those fields because the, the cows, they want to run away from the meadow, want to run into the field and eat the fruit. Um, and that's precisely what he needs to stop from happening. So our boy jumps up 
he has a stick, he shakes the stick, he screams, he waves his hands, he does all kinds of things, um, something the suttas call rakati, to protect. And he has a hard time. Cut, take two, we have our boy three months later, the fields are harvested, the cows have no pull to go anywhere else but to stand on their meadow. Our, our cowherd boy lies in the shade of a, a shrub or a tree, occasionally lifts his head and looks. The cows are still where they're supposed to be, they're not going anywhere. I don't need to do anything. Um, and this is what the Buddha calls establishing sati. Yeah. Both are needed activities. It's not that one is the right one and the other one is the wrong one, but for the one in the former image, our boy has to do a lot of effort, he has to engage, he has to be quite harsh and on the ball. For the second one, it is enough to establish a spacious and open kind of awareness because the cows are not running around. He knows that they're not running around he sees that they're not running around, and that is all that is needed. Another image speaks of sati and likens it to the plow and to the stick of a cowherd. A cowherd, that, uh, not a cowherd, what's the word? A plowman, somebody who is plowing. So there are some cows in there, but the cows are actually drawing the plow. So you have two oxen drawing his plow, and our man holds the furrow straight with his stick by making sure that his oxen stay on track. So he gives that direction to his oxen to stay straight, and keeps part of his attention on the oxen and makes sure that his furrow will be straight. Another part of his attention is on the plow itself, because if the plow goes too deep, it gets stuck. If the plow doesn't go deep enough, it just scratches the surface of the earth. So, remember, Indian plows look slightly different than what you probably are used to seeing. It's a simple structure, generally a piece of wood going down into the ground, having a reinforced front with metal. Um, a board at the bottom allows you to put your weight on there, so to press that plow into the ground. And at the upper end you have something like a fork that allows you to hold with one or with at least, uh, with at least one or possibly two hands. So our plowman has the task to make sure that the plow is just the right depth, the, the right amount of application. In our image it's the application of weight, in our practice as meditation uh, practitioners, it's the application of energy. And we have the right direction. In our image, it's the direction of straightness that the oxen need to take so that the furrow gets, becomes straight. In our practice as yogis, we um, have the right direction by clarifying our object of meditation and by clarifying our in intention. So this double task of sati, right degree of application and correct right direction, is an interesting image.
Yeah, I think. Let's kind of recap. Sati, uh, with its aspect of stability and firmness in the image of the post that stands still while the wild animals of our senses are pulling in all directions, each of the animals wanting to go to the place where it feels uh, gratified. Sati as open spacious awareness in the image of the uh, the charioteer sitting on the bench of his chariot overlooking uh, the road, the animal, the cart. Similarly, Sati in the image of the man climbing an elevated tower or the upper story of his house. Then we have Sati uh, with the inquiring probing quality in the image of the surgeon that uses a probe to locate the, um, the foreignest part in our man's body. We have Sati as protection in the image of the gatekeeper that does not allow strangers or people he doesn't trust to enter the city. Sati as um, efficiency, as the economy in movement uh, in the image of the gatekeeper that brings the messengers without delay and on the most direct route to the governor of the city. We have Sati with the double task of right application of energy and direction of intentionality in the image of our plowman. Um, and obviously the vigilance that comes when we have Sati in the image uh, the profound circumspection and bodily awareness in the image of our man that has to walk through the crowd with the bowl of oil on its head, on his head. Um, so these are quite a number of facets of sati. And you'll probably agree with me that mm, the common understanding of mindfulness often doesn't do justice to all of these images. Spacious awareness is one famous aspect of sati, but protection is maybe a little less famous, or the probing quality, the inquiring, the inquisitive quality is maybe also less famous. Then the unwavering firmness of sati, that which does not budge. Uh, it's an interesting image which on, level, on some level seems contradictory to the spacious open awareness, non-directed. The discernment we find in the gatekeeper. The vigilance we find in the man walking through the crowd, unwavering vigilance. There's another image I forgot, and this is an image that comes from the questions of Melinda and from the commentaries, which is interesting. It is described that Sati, unlike a gourd thrown into water that gets that moves with the with the drift, unlike such a gourd thrown into water, Sati doesn't float away. Sati stays and enters the object it associates with. Yeah? So imagine a gourd floating away on water and sati is not like that. Sati does 
penetrate the surface and enter into the object it is investigating and it is associating with so the, the non-wavering nature of sati. Good, let me end. I just trust that these images uh, go to your mind and inform you what you believe to uh, sati to be, mindfulness to be, and uh, that you may allow yourself to have these images talk to you, maybe of other facets of mindfulness that broaden your understanding of this very fascinating and crucial quality of mind. It is not for um, nothing that the Buddhist teaching hinges on this quality. Ajahn Chah made it very clear and he said, Sati is life. Good, let me end here and let us sit for a while.